I think I'm so glad you brought up the premenstrual phase because I think it's one of the most misunderstood parts of our cycle. It's the most stigmatized, stereotyped, you know, and this is where, you know, partners, men can really come in and also create an allyship with this phase because as women, as cyclical beings, we are meant to offer that inner critic, that inner bullshit detector to our community. It has value. Welcome back to week nine here on the Hidden World podcast. Today, my guest is my good friend, Veronica Stevens. Veronica is a yoga teacher, a birth doula, and a keeper of wisdom when it comes to understanding the rites and rituals available to anyone with a uterus or a womb. Veronica has been my friend for nearly a decade. She helped me bring my first baby, my daughter, into the world. And she has continued to be one of my greatest teachers when it comes to learning how to respect and tend to the body consciously. For your information, Veronica and I are going to talk very freely about some potentially new terms and ideas to some of you. We start this conversation off by uh, talking about the pelvic bowl, which is possibly a new idea. The pelvic bowl is comprised of everything that sits inside the pelvis. It is an incredibly significant area of the body, in part because it is the hub of so much activity. It houses our reproductive system and lower digestive system. All movement in the spine and hip joint is initiated from the pelvis using a complicated network of muscles leading to and from the pelvic bowl. In the world of yoga, or energy medicine, the pelvic bowl also houses the mula bandha, which is an energy lock, the nadis, which are energy paths, and our root chakra, a vital energy junction in the body. Some of this conversation may sound kind of wild to anyone who has never thought about their own body much, or especially their own womb space as a doorway or a portal into creativity and sacred activity. But I believe that if you stick around for the whole conversation, you will become a new convert too. Welcome to this week's episode of The Hidden World. Good morning. Good morning. Um, do you want to just like get right into it? Let's do it. um so we talked about talking about the wisdom of the pelvic bowl Mm -hmm. what it means and why we would want to bother inhabiting those spaces and and getting to know their rhythms and their wisdom um and I think I'm going to let you take it from there. All right. Yeah. So right now, in particular, we're really being called home to our bodies because we're... Why do you say that? Well, it might seem counterintuitive because COVID's causing a lot of us to be in our heads, right? But we have this refuge which is our body, our pelvic bowl, if we are willing to connect to it, right? We spend most of our time in our heads, even outside of the pandemic, Um, but in our life, right, is really calling us inward. And because we're all hopefully staying at home as much as we can and staying more um, connected to our inner life, right? if we can be with kids, it's like, eh. <laughs> I realize that that can be challenging, but um, we really have this invitation, I think, to re-inhabit our pelvic bowls and, um, you know, our external life, if we ever get to live that again, <laughs> can only be as 
rich and fulfilling as our inner life. And I think the pelvic bowl really has a lot of the, the feminine wisdom that we've been missing for so long. Um, you know, we live in this patriarchal capitalistic society and my teacher, Tammy Kent, in specifically talks about this. I think I sent you the video where, you know, she talks about this is a really great opportunity for us to um, return to our bodies, to embody our, our whole self. So you and I um, have had a lot of conversations and a lot of meaningful experiences together that have involved um, trying to connect more to the wisdom of the body, trying to put the body back on the brain map or or trying to experience um, the consciousness of the body, not just the consciousness of the mind, really working to integrate something that has been split Mm -hmm. um, in sort of like Western consciousness. I wanna ask you um, to think about the first moment, if you have one that you knew, that you realized like, oh, this is split off from me and it doesn't feel good. because I was in therapy in, I was 25 years old and I was going through some shit. <laughs> and I came in one day and was kind of flippantly said to my therapist, like my jaw is all locked up and um, it really hurts. Like it's hard for me to sleep. I'm, I'm having a ton of pain all day. I'm taking a ton of Advil. So I'm, I gotta go to the dentist. So I need to switch our appointment or something like that, you know? And she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm curious about the timing of this. And I looked at her like she had three heads. Like, why would this be relevant for therapy? My body's just doing a thing and the dentist is going to solve the thing. <laughs> you know? And she was like, no, no, no. I, I think you, your body is trying to get your attention. And it blew my mind that something could be happening in my body that was essentially the psyche expressing itself somatically. Yes. Yeah. And that was the very beginning of me getting curious about myself below the top front third of my brain. Do you have a moment like that? Not so much a moment, but a phase for sure. When I started college, I um, was kind of similar with with not sleeping. I had really severe insomnia. Like I was sleeping maybe two or three hours a night. And I remember thinking really confidently (laughs) that I knew my body. I was like, I kept saying, I know my body. I don't understand why I can't sleep. Like I'm a dancer. I, I know my body. And, um, and I also thought like, you know, I just need to go to bed at a certain time and, you know, do all these things, but it had spiraled out of control. And, um, that's when I got into yoga and that's when I was really humbled by the fact that I was, I was split off and disconnected. And um, I literally remember driving one day after doing yoga, I would get the like Rodney Yee videos from the library, like old school Shiva Ray. Um, And I felt tension leaving my shoulders. I was like, I can feel it. It's It's leaving my shoulders. And that was a big aha moment for me like an awakening or maybe more of like a remembering of how to feel good in my own skin Mm -hmm. where do you think it starts that we get so split off from 
from being able to inhabit our body? I mean, I feel like right away we enter this, this world where facts and knowing things with our brain are, is, is very much put on a pedestal versus how does your body feel? Because there's always some kind of explanation for, for everything, right? Versus leaning into the mystery, like not, not knowing sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, Right. It's a very different inner attitude to search within yourself and admit you don't know. Yes. That, that you're, you're looking, that you're, um, (laughs) you know, when I, when I try to listen to the body, it's a, it's a kind of surrender of, of ego consciousness of mm-hmm. having it all figured out. So, um, like I, I remember I had a terrible kidney infection. Um, I think like 2012. We talked about this. We both had one. And one of the first times I like, I didn't hang out with you, but we were hanging out after class. We were talking and anyways, I just got excited because I remember that. It was like the beginning of our friendship and we bonded over having kidney infections. <laughs> I remember talking to you once about kidney infections, but I don't remember any of the details. <laughs> um, but I had this terrible kidney infection that, wa- that landed me in the hospital for a, a few days on IV antibiotics. And... Um, it had come on so fast. Like I didn't have a UTI before or anything. It just, just suddenly had this infected kidney. And the, it, the fact that the doctors, they kept saying like, you must've had a, a urinary tract infection. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, well, how, in, and they were like, how in the world well, this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, right. I don't think that it's supposed to. I think that the, I think that my right kidney is trying to get my attention. <laughs> so like, let me just be in this hospital room, really humbled by this phenomena, pretty shaken and scared and try to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like, trying to listen to the body is not like sitting down at a lecture, you know? Right. So as I would listen, it, you know, it's just like, you have to feel into it and mm-hmm. open and images would come up and my dreams sort of changed a bit and some beliefs kind of started to surface. And, and then after some time, it took a while. It wasn't like Right. It, it took a few weeks actually to really kind of get to the heart and the soul of what was going on. But um, I, I, I determined that I had been essentially trying to do everything mm-hmm. um, that I thought I was supposed to be doing which was like spend time with friends, work a really intense job, exercise all the time, eat perfectly well, have like meaningful quality time with my husband, have a clean house, uh, read all the books, take all the classes, um, participate in all the like spiritual events that I was interested in at the time do all the travel. I was really in this very like um, hyper productive kind of manic space. And my right kidney was like, no. You're done. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You can't. The body knows like it's, it's so smart. And 
I think the more that you, and, and like you said, it's not like you just arrive and you're fully embodied. It has to be something that you touch into throughout your day, you know? Um, and it's funny because when there's Nico, um, when I had my kidney infection, it was my right kidney too. And I was like, oh, my back hurts. Like, can someone rub my back? It didn't, it didn't feel like visceral to me, but I don't know if I ever felt what visceral meant. Like, I, I don't know. Mm. Like I had never felt an organ in pain, I think, mm. um, outside of, I guess, menstrual cramps. But I remember being like, oh, it's just like, it's achy. I'll just do like a forward fold and I'll be fine. Just carry on. <laughs> um, and I think you kind of always have that happening, right? It's not like you just become fully literate in your, in your body. Um, there's a lot of just, it's not a linear path. It's spiralic. You have to continually check in. Um, so yeah. Yeah. When would you define spiralic or who <laughs> I know it, this is hard stuff in these conversations, like to not use our buzzwords as throwaway words. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think most people know what that means. Yeah. I always, as a doula, it's really easy for me to go back to like the process of giving birth because that is not a linear process. It's not like you arrive and you're in early labor and then by, you know, 10 hours later, you have your baby. There's, there's moments where you have a pause and you have to check in and maybe you need some intervention. You know, it's, it's more of like um, a labyrinth versus like a straight line to having baby in your arms. Um, so, so spiralic means spiral. Right. You're talking about like it's circular instead of linear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you keep, you keep going round and round and round the same material. Right. In a, and trying to get closer and closer and closer into the center. Yes, that's it. <laughs> uh, so it's so interesting. Spirals were really important to Carl Jung. Um, he thought it was like a self, uh, a self symbol, like a, um, or a symbol of individuation, I should say, like where it, a symbol of wholeness. Um, and he suggested that the, that spirals show up in most um, human civilizations that created, uh, that, that, had and worked with symbols as a way of trying to understand the universe. Um, so, so a spiral is a sacred symbol. There's a resonance for most people. Like if you watch something like the movie Moana, <laughs> it's like, what's at the center of, what's the symbol on the heart of Tafiki? It's a spiral. What's the symbol on her um, sailboat? It's a spiral. Why? Well, she's on an individuation journey, right? She's, she's trying to get, she's trying to reconcile what has been split off. Mm. She's trying to return home, literally. And then she's trying to return home as far as like the origin of creation and the, the union that's available there when, when things are reconciled. Whoa. I'm going to have to go watch Moana again because I've seen it like 87 times, but, <laughs> and it always moves me. Like, you know, I, I cry a lot when I see it, but now I have this lens. <laughs> um, that's why I didn't want to throw away the word spiralic. Yeah. 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 And you know, if you look at um, the menstrual cycle itself, it has that same pattern, that same spiralic pattern of like every month we go through 
these fluctuations over and over and over again. And the more that I lean into them and um, really try to not just understand them, like we said, from like a factual physiologic point of view, but how does my body feel today? The closer I think I get feels to, to home, to um, really feeling at home in my body and more easeful, each, each phase feels more easeful when I, when I practice menstrual cycle awareness. Okay. Let's just jump straight into that because the reason you're here today um, is because you have become um, hmm, like the womb lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you, you try to help people connect to the wisdom of the womb or the whole pelvic bowl. The, um, you try to open a door, I think, in people's psychic awareness. I don't mean psychic, psychic, I like in their psychological awareness that um, this center in the body is a wisdom center. And this center in the body, when, when you can attune to it, is a way of doing what we're talking about, like spiraling inward in order to really come home. So could you tell us about your journey to becoming the womb lady? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to start with my first period because I only know this like retrospectively, but when I look back that day before my first period, I had absolutely no signs that it was coming, but I turned to my friend and I was like, I'm gonna get my period tomorrow. And um, they there's a lot of books that talk about uh, girls at their, at their first period, really stepping into their psychic life, like really having an inner knowing. And that was kind of true for me. Um, and my mom did a really good job of like making it a celebration. Like when I told her I had my period, she was at work and she screamed and she stood up and she told everyone at work. <laughs> Like, some people, yeah, she was so excited. <laughs> and um, there was also a lot of like prep work and building up and making sure I felt really confident and excited about it. I was always really excited about it. Um, so that was nice. But, you know, the more I grew and the heavier and more painful my periods got, which is really common, by the way, because our estrogen receptors are really sensitive when in our younger years. Um, and then the more I felt like I had to hide it, right? That was the message was, okay, you're going to bleed. Here are some things to like cover it up, to keep it contained, keep it a secret, and no one needs to know about it. Like, make sure you hide your tampons. <laughs> and... Um, and that message was really kind of ingrained in me. And I feel like it was ingrained in, in most girls. And that affects our relationship with our body. It, it affects our relationship with really, I think, being, being a woman. Um, so I had really painful, horrible periods my whole life. Like I had to go to the nurse's office a lot during school. And, and she was always like, I don't know, want to lay down? Like, <laughs> and I felt really isolated in that. I felt like everyone was confused as to why it hurt so bad. Um, and when I did go on the pill, because I, I was taught that, you know, this will cure it all. And I think a lot of people get that message. I hate, I hated it. And my mom told me, she's like, you're going to hate it. And I was like, mm, whatever, mom. Like, <laughs> and I was a crazy person. I was really depressed. I was crying all the time. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, mm. And again, I felt really isolated in that because I felt like a lot of my friends were able to take it and just be okay. 
but I felt, so I was also diagnosed with PMDD when I was 18 and Can you say what that is premenstrual dysphoric disorder um, by a doctor who asked me about two questions and that's when I was prescribed the pill and I felt like it actually made me it, it put me in a worse state than the PMDD that's that's how intense it felt anyways I think I took it for about six months and I was like no thank you <laughs> And um, from there, continued to have really intense periods and, and PMDD, but it was something again that I felt like I just had to put up with and I needed to push past. And I think there is this very patriarchal viewpoint on periods in general, where in, in the US specifically, like the, the more you can just, you know, push through it, do your work, go work out, like just ignore it take some ibuprofen, which also I'm not against, but you know, there's, there's this very like capitalistic viewpoint, I think in just pushing through it all that actually causes symptoms to be worse. Yeah. So eventually, you know, I, I was a doula. I was very much immersed in working with women with, with womb work really. Um, and so I stumbled upon a course with cyclical body and the, the antidote for all of my pain and distress was really just awareness. You know, I always thought that I would need to like change my diet, which can help, or, you know, take some kind of magic pill, whatever that was. And instead, all it really took was understanding my cycle from a hormonal, emotional, and energetic point of view, and really creating a container for that, not just personally, like by journaling about it and stuff, but also by talking about it with other women or other cyclical beings, mm -hmm. having that space where every week we would meet and talk about what we were feeling, how our cycle was. And I just find that so mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like it wasn't rocket science. I just needed to have a container and I needed to rest. And this is where I think a lot of us just don't give ourselves um, that opportunity during our period to take the first two to three days. You and I talk about this all the time. Um, to just do nothing. Don't do that hard workout. Like give yourself some space to rest as much as possible. Wait, I have to back it up because a year before I took this course, you wrote a piece on this, on like really creating more of an allyship, I think with your cycle, like really leaning into it, leaning into the phases and resting. And I remember being like, oh my God, Whitney, you need to write a book about this. <laughs> the book would be short. <laughs> um, yeah, I, in some part of my first analysis, um, my first psychoanalytic therapeutic relationship, which is called analysis. Like if you, if you work with a psychoanalyst of, from any tradition and the tradition I'm into is the Jungian tradition, but it's called analysis. I actually think that that's meaningful to define because it's different than therapy. It's, it's not quite the same. Um, and uh, so the, one of the <clears throat> gifts of a good analysis is that there's not a lot of pathologizing. Like you're, you're not trying to get rid of symptoms um, or control affect, like A-F-F-E-C-T, like mood, emotion, whatever. Um, you are trying to be with it and understand. And um, that is what allows for wholeness, you know, for 
being able to hold the whole the whole self, the whole 360 degree radius of a self, which includes the body. It, it does not, it cannot exclude it. And um, so somewhere in there, it came up that I, that my like premenstrual moods were um, very intense for me. And, um, and I don't really remember exactly the conversation or how I, I kind of wound up with this awareness, but my, my analyst, cause that's what she always did, wanted to just get curious about it. You know, um, okay, well, what comes up, you know, and what, what gets revealed to you in this space? Um, is, is it possible that what you're doing is you're like hyper seeing that the, um, the premenstrual hormones are sort of like an unmasking. They really show you what really bothers you, you know, what really isn't working. And, and if that's, if we can work with it this way, then we, we can also think about how to communicate that information in a productive, you know, measured, thoughtful way, um, either to your work or to your family or to your husband or, you know, to yourself, or to your God, whatever, right? Um, for me, at least, when I say, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous, it actually, it's like whatever's rising up in me, whatever energy is coming up to, <laughs> to get my attention, if I try to tell it that I'm being ridiculous or irrational or wrong or bad, it gets worse. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what eventually was really laid bare for me was that I needed to, I needed to rest mm-hmm. in the the premenstrual phase and in the early menstrual phase. Mm-hmm. I needed to rest so badly. I needed to kind of come inward, sleep more, tend to my dreams, really eat intuitively, um, you know, maybe spend time outside, um, be really curious about what was going on inside of me. And then it was almost, it became like a pattern of mine where almost like a religious ritual. We're like, oh, this is my, this is like my moon time. I don't know where I, where I go in and get some wisdom and then I come out and I can then start to sort of operate with that wisdom or like plant it, nurture it and, and grow it in my life. And it's coming from doing this monthly cyclical dance where when there's hyper awareness in my own system because of these hormonal shifts it's actually an opportunity to really get to know some things so yes yeah, that was what the essay I think was about yes it blew my mind it totally was one of the things that really got me thinking um about this work and and I didn't know it was a thing like I you know that that's what I've been taught my whole life was like again you're gonna bleed and you gotta deal with that and then just move on versus, you know, there's, there's four seasons, there's four phases that we want to attune to. And I think I'm so glad you brought up the premenstrual phase, because I think it's one of the most misunderstood parts of our cycle. It's the most stigmatized, stereotyped, you know, and this is where, you know, partners, men can really come in and also create an allyship with this phase, because as women, as cyclical beings, we are meant to offer that inner critic, that inner bullshit detector to our community. It has value. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. And actually in certain cultures, this was a part of the community's ritual. Women would go, cause they were all like cycling with the moon, which we do the moon cycle Mm -hmm. 28 days and the, you know, the inner lunar cycle is, is, but, um, also I think we've talked about this, but there's 13 moons in the year 
there's 13 cycles of 28 days. And it is so curious, so curious to me that we've decided 13 is an unlucky number, like yep. demonizing the feminine number. Um, like the feminine power number, the feminine wisdom number. Um, also demonizing the full moon and also witches. Yep. Like and women, Friday the 13th, yeah, yeah. Women who are um, powerful women or healing women or women that kind of step outside of the community for a while and commune with the body and nature and then come back in with wisdom and healing. Like that's probably the best way to describe a witch anyways. Oh, totally. But um, that inner, that ability to see really clearly and sharply um, and then come and say to the community, hey, this thing is whack. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, women used to go together and menstruate together and Mm -hmm. they would watch their dreams and talk to each other and process the process, the health of the community. And then they would emerge from those places. This is before like the repudiation of the goddess, but they would emerge from those places and the community would listen to them and then try to adapt the teaching or the wisdom, which was oftentimes critical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there are um, indigenous tribes that uh, the chief would often ask to talk to the menstruating women about their dreams because it was thought that they had, you know, psychic abilities, wisdom that were really valuable to, to the whole tribe. And I also think that it's important to really tune into if, whether or not your inner critic has advice for you. Like sometimes it can be directed towards the self. And if you have, um, if you can be highly critical towards yourself, which I think, I don't know, many women who aren't, (laughs) you have to have boundaries with it. You have to be able to say, hold on, like not, you're not going to be mean to me, (laughs) not going to be mean to myself and, uh, really make sure you have, um, treat it more like a trusted friend. Like, okay, you're here to offer me some feedback and really be gentle with yourself with that. That's great. Um, Because there is a difference between like a a clear sightedness about yourself that's non-judgmental where it's it's just like, hey girl. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like this isn't the, this isn't like your best. <laughs> Attitude. Yeah. Just check in a little. Yeah. <laughs> um, versus some kind of shame spiral. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then what that creates is an easier transition into the menstrual phase, right? Versus what I've felt in the past to be like this resistance to it. Like, ah, no, I don't, I can't let go. And it creates more, more of a sense of surrender. And actually, if you really practice it well, there are states of, because of the pause, there's a complete hormonal pause when we enter the menstrual phase. So the corpus luteum, Uh, I shouldn't even bring that up, should I? Why? Actually, it's really fascinating. Okay. So when you ovulate, that's, you know, day 12 to 14 of your cycle, an ovum is released from a follicle. That follicle then becomes the corpus luteum, which is this incredible gland that is created within 24 hours. And it acts as a mini placenta. Yeah, it's really cool. And it creates one of the most amazing hormones that we all need more of called progesterone. Progesterone stands for progestation. So it's what creates a squishier, more thinned out, soft 
lining of the uterus, the endometrium, it makes it like easier for an egg to be received, implanted. Um, as you progress through the second half of your cycle, the premenstrual phase, the corpus luteum begins to regress and then it eventually dies so that you have that hormonal plummet. There is a complete pause in the fluctuations of the cycle, which if you're highly sensitive can feel so nice if you're truly tuned in and resting. It's like, oh, and that's when your menstrual phase begins. <laughs> so the more you lean into that, the quietness of it, I think if you get really quiet, it can make your menstrual phase actually enjoyable. At, at least that's how it's been since I've healed my cycle for me. So the way you describe this to me, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a religious ritual. I mean, this yeah. type of um, rhythm, like the type of lunar rhythm, if you can participate consciously and could make your ordinary life feel so sacred. Yes, yes. You're taking these, you know, everyday experiences and re-sacredizing them. Is that a word? <laughs> these, these everyday experiences and let's say making them a sacrament. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Words. <laughs> um, yeah. How I feel about words. <laughs> they're like they can be like a spell yes you're you're really good at words I think that's why I was like nervous at the beginning of this podcast because I was like shit I'm talking to Whitney um and I you lean yeah. into your expertise and you really get granular about what you know you really come alive yeah it took it takes me I have to warm up I have to like warm up I need to warm up in like everything in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of like cold bath. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like we talked about this with how we give birth too. like you dive straight in and I'm like, I need a couple days to like, I need to have some prodromal labor, like really just like dip a toe in and yeah. be like, is the water ready yet? Like, <laughs> and I just am like, and here comes the tidal wave. <laughs> Yeah, nosedive, right? It's like an opening in the earth that I just like sink and like fall straight to the center <laughs> of the seismic event. Yeah. yeah. Which actually is terrible. It is. It's so much harder, I yeah, think. Well, I don't know. It's it's all hard. Okay. Keep talking to us about the the lunar ritual. Yeah. That that lives within us. Tell us how to participate in it consciously. Yeah, I love that you're calling it a lunar ritual because for anyone who um, doesn't have a womb anymore or is in menopause, like these are all rhythms that you can still feel into if you follow the moon. Just wanna be as inclusive as possible. Yes, you, yeah. can, you can participate in the lunar ritual no matter who you are. Yes. And what, what lives inside your body. Yeah. Even if it's like you identify as someone who has these yeah. cyclical experiences. Um, so going back to day one of your cycle, we have menstruation, that first day of bright red blood flow. So not the spotting that sometimes occurs beforehand, but the bright red blood flow and at the same time, this always blows my mind. At the same time, our pituitary gland is creating follicle stimulating hormone, FSH, which stimulates the ovaries to begin producing eggs, which produce estrogen. So at the same time that we are shedding, if you wanna ritualize that, like letting go, cleansing, we are also beginning our next cycle, our next ovarian cycle. Because death and rebirth, like birth, death, and rebirth, birth, death, and rebirth, or, you know, life, death, and resurrection, life, death, and like this, this is the rhythm of the universe. 
and it lives inside of our body. It's incredible. Like, yeah. And it's all reflective of nature too, like we said with the moon. And the trees and the yes. seasons. Yes. And by the way, um, in the book Wild Power, they actually relate each phase to a season. So menstruation is your inner winter. And so that's the time when you're supposed to go deeply inward, stay home, rest, get cozy, get quiet. And, you know, life is meant to go underground at that point. If you think about like animals and, you know, going underground during winter to stay warm, like that's what we're, we're meant to do too. And when we don't do it, we can feel kind of crazy. Yes. Similarly in actual winter. Right. One of the reasons historically I have felt so crazy and angry and depressed is because the culture kept saying, go, 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 go. And my body was like, it's dark. It's cold. I'm supposed to be inside. Oh my gosh. I feel you. I am so sensitive to that, especially at the end of winter. Like, oh, I'm so done with it. And, but also I, I can't, I need to rest to survive because my seasonal affective disorder is in full effect. Um, so from there, you're starting your next ovarian cycle by day three, estrogen is starting to rise. Now, estrogen is a hormone that gives us a sense of confidence. So it increases serotonin and dopamine and it continually, yeah, rises into the next cycle or the next phase of the cycle, which is your pre-ovulatory phase. So you just talked about spring. Right. Yeah. And pre- spring. Pre-ovulatory is summer. So ovulation is like the summer solstice. <laughs> ovulation is more like of a moment versus a phase, really. It's mm-hmm. like when the egg bursts from the, the follicle, right? Whereas pre-ovulation is like your inner spring. And that's when, you know, like spring, you want to step back out into the world, you know, really gently, no need to go full speed ahead. And oftentimes it's during that phase that we have this kind of like, if you think of it as like an intention or like a seedling, like something that we are trying to grow into fruition. And we're just beginning to kind of play with that and get curious about it. And maybe step out of our comfort zone a little bit, um, really uh, tune into the pleasure that comes with spring or that burst of estrogen, whether that's through, you know, going dancing or maybe it's something sensual, something sexual, like really owning that potent energy as your own and taking it out into the world, right? Then we have that summer solstice, which is ovulation. As estrogen builds, it eventually comes to a threshold. And that is what stimulates luteinizing hormone. We don't really understand why luteinizing hormone occurs. Like we don't really, that's another mystery. Like we're sort of like, what? I guess that's what causes ovulation. (laughs) And, um, then the egg bursts from the follicle and that's that peak of estrogen where you really, whatever kind of intention or creative project or whatever it is that you're trying to harness, you really want to let it out. And that is a practice I feel like you know a lot about, like of holding the tension until the right moment. You don't want to like just spill everything out before you're ready right yes yes yeah yeah you well right like giving birth you nurture something in the um in the becoming in the like hidden secret becoming you you know you you can nurture something in the literal womb and you can nurture something in the figurative womb um and then it ideally you you don't birth it until it's ready until until it's formed to the point where the 
where the figurative or the physical body says, we can't even hold this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is actually, I think, a really healthy, creative practice to have. Yes. And I love that you brought up like whatever it is that you're birthing, you're, you're offering to the world. Like this is the part of our cycle that we're not taught about. And it is incredibly empowering to lean into. And I just, I find it so interesting that we were never given these tools. Again, it was like, you're going to have your period soon. That's all you need to know. Well, I'm sure we were never given these tools because um, all this power is so threatening. Right. Yeah. To the, like, uh, you know, hierarchical, um, patriarchal, sort of dualistic, um, productive assembly line kind of uh, consciousness that has really been the steam engine of the modern era. Mm, yep. Yeah. Um, so you have that moment of ovulation where it all comes to fruition. And this is also when in terms of like exercise, you can give it your all. Like go out there, do your Peloton, like hit workouts, whatever it is. (laughs) This is the best time for it. We're going to have more energy. And for me, honestly, the moment of ovulation as like um, epic as it can sound, sometimes it can feel really um, intense for me, for a lot of people, I think Uh, that heightened energy. If I'm not like, again, getting into my body, like pushing my body up against something to like get out of my head it can turn into a lot of um, like anxious energy, a lot of like, no one's doing anything fast enough for me. Like, (laughs) so. um, Yes, feel that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, It's like, if you don't rest when when the um, rhythm suggests rest, that feels bad. But if you don't, if you're not active when the rhythm invites you to be active, that feels bad. Right. Yes. We're just, we're working more in sync with the energy. Right. And then from there, we move back into the premenstrual phase, which after ovulation, you want to step into that phase, but also pause. And I think this is something that we're not great at in our, our, our culture, pause and then honor what did you bring to fruition right like what is it that you want to really like celebrate and look at because we tend to be like really wrapped up in the idea of production for production's sake Mm -hmm. and then just go 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 and stay in autopilot and what's next we want to pause and say okay like i'm a total badass i did this thing and that's going to really help us to then go back into the descent, right, of, mm. of the premenstrual phase. The descent. I wonder if the descent often feels so bad energetically because it is so counterculture and we have, yep. not, we have not been taught to understand the descent as wisdom, as, um, uh, y- you know, I, I love talking about the myth of Anana, the Sumerian goddess. You don't know? Okay. No. Um, ooh, I will be so brief. <laughs> <laughs> so Anana, it's a Sumerian myth, um, predates Christianity. And um, Anana is the queen of heaven. And she has a sister named Ereshkigal who lives in the underworld. She's like the queen of, of the underworld of, you know, hell, I guess. And I can't remember the circumstances in which Anana decides she needs to go down to see Aresh, to meet Ereshkigal, but she does. And I'll spare all the other details of the story. I'll just talk about the descent. But um, when she kind of like enters the gates of the underworld, 
there are seven, there are seven gates or seven thresholds she had, which is so fascinating because there's like seven days of this, right? Yeah. There are seven thresholds she has to go through. And in each threshold, she has to take off a layer of her regalia or like her psychological clothing or her like, you know, in, in order to, to meet Arash Gagel naked. Ugh. And, and then uh, she dies. <laughs> but she she dies. Ereshkigal looks at her with the eyes of death and she dies. And Ereshkigal hangs her body on a meat hook. Um and then Ereshkigal mourns. Long story short, these witnesses um that are created the sea god scrapes the bottom of the sea and gets these two little balls of dirt from underneath his nail and he creates these witnesses these little beings that go down and mourn with the reshkigel um so she'll say like oh oh my insides and they say oh oh your insides they're just witnessing they're just mirroring and because they they approach this death like that Arash Gagel essentially feels held and, and because she feels her, her grief is held and seen and, and witnessed, she then takes Anana off the meat hook three days later and Anana is, is allowed to, to return to life and then arise, like goes back up. But when, but she comes back up, when she comes back up, she now is capable of looking at things in her life with the eyes of death. Ugh. And she's, she's able to see that her consort, her like divine consort, I can't remember his name. Let's call him Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> she sees that he has been bad for her, that he's sort of like a philanderer and a, a douchebag. <laughs> and so she looks at him with the eyes of death. She's able to break that attachment. Oh, that is gorgeous. That is what, what we need. And it's crazy that the three days, like that literally mirrors the cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the descent is descent, not honored yeah. in our culture anymore. Yes. And, and this, I think right now, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, like being at home, being stuck at home, I think is part of us being invited back into the descent. And our cycle, you know, is, is a portal. It is one of the ways into that descent and it's not just for women it's not just for cyclical beings like like i said this is something that everyone's partner should know about and in the circles i've ran that has been so ama amazing to watch having my my students talk about how like well my partner knows i'm in my premenstrual phase and i'm i'm entering that phase where my inner critic is coming out and they're really like you said holding them in that space and it's reciprocal like there there is they gain just as much from this partners as as we do <sighs> i'm well, so excited. i think you can come out of that um like encounter with Arash Gagel, and you can come out um you can emerge from that yeah both with the ability to sort of see with the eyes of death but also to bestow blessings. You know, I, I feel yes. like I really let myself participate consciously in these rhythms. I, I am able to give um, my, my husband and my family and my work um, and my community so much more. It's, it's not um, quantitatively more, it's qualitatively more. It's richer. Yes. Right. Yes. And this is the thing because it's counterintuitive if you've grown up in our culture to be like slowing down and resting and going inward 
like entering winter doesn't seem like it would be the thing that makes life richer because we've been conditioned to believe that, but it is, it is the thing, right? Not just for us, but for everybody. And there's just, that's, there's so much wisdom to that. Um, And in a, in a world where we are so cut off from rhythmic, um, cyclical ritual as a part of our consciousness, you know, that doesn't, with the exception of maybe the school year and the seasons, I think that's Mm -hmm. all we have left collectively. Yep. Right. Um, And yet we are, we are these beings that are hardwired to, to move in these spiralic patterns. Um, You know, there are, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, I forget what it's called right now, but the Sufis, um, it's like the mystical arm of Islam, what whirling dervishes, where the whole entire ritual is just like spinning in these, um, in these spirals to music and, and people have mystical experiences encounter God just moving this way, you know, getting around a fire and dancing around a fire, Mm -hmm. creating a mandala, walking a labyrinth, you know, sitting in a circle in order to do any kind of community work or spiritual work. Like these, these things are, it's right there in plain sight that we are, we are more whole and connected when we can orient ourselves this way. Right. Right. Way mm-hmm. Than the linear way that's been modeled to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and it's time, you know, that we all really embrace that. Yeah, it is time. Here we go. Here's my final question for everyone, always. <laughs> um, if you could distill this down, what is one thing you wish everyone knew? I think that the one thing I wish everybody knew is that all of these things that we're talking about are suggestions that really embodying the cycle and being in your your pelvic bowl is unique to you and growing an awareness to your unique rhythm is more important than what you've been taught not just the you know ways we've been conditioned in in society to believe about about our body but even the things that that i'm saying so you wish that everybody knew how to sit in the seat of their own wisdom Yes. And learn how to honor that. Right. Even if when you do tune in to your body and make that a habit, a ritual, even if it's quiet, even if there isn't a clear message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just the practice itself. Beautiful. That's very hopeful and accessible. Thank you. I'm I'm really excited for for people to hear this conversation. Me too. I I am just so grateful that you invited me to do this. It's fun for me. It's like because I'm 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 interested in talking to people who I know have so much wisdom to share. And then I, and then I, I think about like, how do I want to pull that little silk thread out of them? You know, which is a, 
is a little like midwifery practice. It is. It totally is. It goes back to like, yeah, helping people birth what they want to birth. Yeah. 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 Thank you to my beloved friend, Veronica, for joining us this week and blowing all of our collective minds. One of the reasons I created this podcast was because I wanted to introduce people to the magic that already exists within each of us. This conversation with Veronica was a perfect example of that. I hope that some of you will be able to continue walking through this doorway Veronica has so graciously opened for all of us today. If you want to learn more from Veronica, you can find her at waking.yoga. That's waking, W-A-K-I-N-G dot yoga, which is her website. She offers yoga and Reiki, a form of energy healing through her website. And she also teaches menstrual literacy classes and immersions, and you can sign up for those there as well. The Hidden World is produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Be good to each other and yourselves. Mm-hmm.